And uh, as you guys turn to Ephesians chapter 6, actually, will you stand with us? Stand with me, I guess, as we, uh, we're going to read straight shot all the way through here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, starting in verse 10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you may also know how I, how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Lord, we come to you uh, this morning just uh, learning about the armor of God that you've given us, Lord. And uh, we just want to draw our strength from you this morning, God. We look to you uh, for everything, Lord. All our strength comes from you, from, you, from what we have. So um, just help us today, Lord. Learn about your might. Learn about your armor. Uh, learn about prayer, Lord. And just uh, bless this time as we learn about your word. Amen. So grab a seat. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul comes to the conclusion of his letter. And in light of everything he's written about in the previous Five and a half chapters up to this, he, give us, he gives us a final encouragement. He says, in light of, in light of in chapter one, in light of how we've been obtained, we've obtained an inheritance sealed by the Holy Spirit. We understand the greatness of his power toward us. We realize Jesus has been raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of God. In light of chapter two, where we learn that by grace through faith, you've been saved, not by, by, not by your own doing, but as a free gift from God how he sent his son to die in your place by the blood of Christ. You've been bought, you've been bought and brought near, reconciled to God through the cross. In chapter three, we learned how through Jesus, we now have boldness and confidence to come to God. Paul prays that you'd be granted strength and power through the Holy Spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts and that you'll have the strength to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, of the love of Christ. In chapter 4, Paul encourages you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He tells you to grow up, grow up so you aren't tossed around by cunning and deceitful schemes. 
He tells us to join together as the body of Christ, to stop walking in the ways of your old self, to take off the old man, renew your, renew your mind in the spirit, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In chapter 5, we're told to be imitators of God, to walk in love, to stop walking in darkness, but begin walking in light, to expose those areas of darkness, to make the best use of your time because the days are evil, and to submit one another out of love. And so finally, in chapter 6, verse 10, this morning, as we finish the book of Ephesians, we're told to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And so as we get into it, let me ask you a question here, just to think about. Is your strength growing in the might of God? When you look back, let's say five years ago, when, even if you look back three years ago, or three months ago, or three days ago, can you say that your strength is growing can you say that your strength is being drawn from the might of the Lord? Or is it being drawn from the might of the world? Is your strength being drawn from your job, from your husband or wife, from your friends, from TV, from the amount of work you do at church, the amount of ministry work you do? Is your, is your strength being drawn from how many Snapchats you can send in a week? Job 26, verse 7 to 14 says, He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the waters in his thick clouds and the cloud is not split open under them. He covers the face of the full moon and spreads over it his cloud. He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways, and how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? You know, when I was in, uh, I played soccer all through high school. Anyone, sports players, I'm sure a lot of you guys are. And I like to think I was a moderately decent player. I wasn't the worst on the team. But I knew I wasn't the best on the team. And let me tell you why I knew I wasn't the best. Because... You guys all know when you're, you think you're good at something and then someone shows up and they're like 10 times better than you and you didn't even know it was like possible that someone could be that good. Well, we had a guy on my team one year uh, in high school. His name was Daniel and he was that guy. He was like, like he should have moved to England, been playing for Liverpool in high school. He was so good. And you see, from that first game on, from our first practice, we realized on our team where our strength came from. Our strength came from Daniel, this one man. Our game plan was one thing, get Daniel the ball. <laughs> the less the rest of the team had the ball, the better. The game plan was when you get the ball, you pass the ball to Daniel, and he will score. I think if he didn't get four or five goals a game, it was a failure for him, because it was like ridiculous. We knew where our strength came from on that team. And we won, we lost, actually, we lost one game. And you know why we lost that one game? Because he wasn't there. Because <laughs> he wasn't there. We went like 15 and one, and we lost that one because we didn't have our prodigy at the game. The whole game revolved around knowing who could win for us. We knew, we get Daniel the ball, we will win. 
And that was the first step. The first step in our, in our Christian walk is to know who we get our power from. Know where your strength comes from. It comes from the might of the Lord. But for many Christians, this is the first step. And then this is also the last step. They know where it comes from and they go, cool. And maybe they listen to 106.5 and that one for King and Country song comes on. And before it comes on, it says, I look to the mountains and where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And they go, yes, amen. That's my Jesus for the day. And then that's it for the rest of the day. That's all they hear. They say, good work, everybody. Let's do it again tomorrow. Same song, same place, same time. We're all good. Have you guys figured out yet that this Christian life you're walking on, it's not being played on a soccer pitch. This isn't a playground that we're walking on. This is a battleground. And for some of us, this can be confusing. It's confusing for me because I go, well, you know, through Christ I have peace. Through Christ I have victory. Through Christ I have eternal life. I have a spiritual father looking after me. I have a, God, a good God who listens to my prayers. But you're telling me I'm in battle? Oh yes, you are. I'm sorry if you've been led astray up to this moment by someone in thinking that once you become a Christian, your life becomes all rainbows and unicorns for the rest of your life. You see, when you align yourself with Christ, you gain his friendship, but you also gain his enemies. But the beautiful thing about going into battle as a friend of Christ is that when you fight for victory, you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. When you draw your strength from the might of the Lord, you've already won. He's already achieved the victory. You only have to fight from the victory. And so as we go into battle over these rest of these verses, Paul's going to share us three things. Three things important for your battle. The first thing is who our enemy is. Very important when you go into battle to know who you're fighting against. The second thing is what equipment we have at our disposal. And the third thing is where our energy comes from. So let's look firstly at who our enemy is. Paul describes in verse 11. He says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the leader of the enemy is the Satan, the Satan in Hebrew. It's translated as the accuser. In Revelation 12, we see Satan accusing us before God day and night. You see, Satan is the prince of this world. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Our enemy is a thief who comes to steal, to steal kill, and destroy. He's an overwhelming powerhouse. Yet he's amazingly cunning and crafty. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He is an army of spiritual forces under him. And the thing about Satan's army of spiritual forces under him is that they are very highly organized. Don't sit here and think that Satan and his army is a bunch of bumbling fools that run around here and get lucky half the time. He has a coordinated attack system with a legion of fallen angels at his command to seek and to destroy the Christian. You see, Satan has two main attacks on Christians. The first one I see is like just the full frontal force in your face attack that Satan uses. This is the attack that we most commonly associate with 
terrorist attacks, bombing, shootings, government law changes, you know, the attacks that are just outright in your face, obvious, this is an attack of the devil. But then there's another tactic that Satan uses, which is much more effective, and I call this one behind-the-scenes attack. You see, there isn't anything that Satan loves more than a lukewarm Christian. If you can't beat him from the outside with a big stick, then infiltrate from the inside. And when working from the inside, there's two main groups that, that Satan sends his legion after. And the first group is passive preachers. We have preachers that are too scared to speak the truth. Preachers not willing to preach the word of God. Preachers telling people that, oh, whatever you feel like doing, go ahead and do it. We have preachers that are more concerned with profit rather than prophecy. You see, the devil loves to take a preacher and turn him into a pylon. And then we have comatose Christians. Even more delightful to Satan than a passive preacher is a comatose Christian. A Christian who sits in the pews, in our case, nice cushy seats, for 35 years with no change in his or her strength in the Lord. A lukewarm Christian. A Christian who sits here thinking, I'm doing just fine for myself. A Christian who, who shows up to church once a week but, but doesn't read his Bible, doesn't pray, doesn't have fellowship with other believers, doesn't share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. You see, we're engaged in a wrestling match against an enemy that is coordinated, he's capable, he's compelling, he's active, he's aggressive, he's alive, and he would love nothing more than to make you sit there and think that he's merely a fable made up in this crazy book that we read. You see, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against heavenly forces of evil. So that takes care of number one. That's encouraging. We know we're fighting against heavenly forces of evil. We know the schemes of the devil. We know that, we know that though we're fighting an evil force in heavenly places, we also know that all we need to do is get that ball to Jesus Christ, and he'll take care of the rest. So we have some equipment at our disposal to stand firm in our fight. And verse 13 tells us, let's look at verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, we're given the, the armor of God. We're told to stand and put on the whole armor and then go into battle that knowing by the strength of God, it's already won. And the key here that, that I think is, is to put on the whole armor. The key is the whole armor. Don't miss a piece. You know, would a soldier go into battle without his helmet? Without his shield? Without his shoes? Without his weapon? Not a chance. You need the whole armor. And the armor needs to be put on correctly. It needs to be adjusted. It needs to be tightened. It needs to be fixed. It needs to be repaired. And so as we look at the six different pieces of armor that we have at our disposal... Just know that they need to be at the forefront of your mind constantly, constantly ensuring each piece is on correctly. We need to get in the habit of daily ensuring this armor we have at our disposal is on to help you grow in the strength of God's might and ensure you're able to withstand the evil day. And as you put, I guarantee you, I promise you, as you, as you work through this and put your armor on every day, you will grow in the strength of the might of the Lord. 
And that's something at CTK. We want to be a church. We want to be a church that grows in the strength of the Lord. We want to become disciples. We don't just want to be comatose Christians sitting here every week. And God gives us the tools we need right here. So let's look at the first piece of armor. The first half of verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You know, as Jesus is being brought back and forth across the city on the night of his crucifixion, we just finished learning about in John, Jesus comes before Pilate. And do you remember the question, one of the questions Pilate asks Jesus? He says, what is truth? Earlier in John 17, 17, as Jesus is praying to the Father, he says, thy word is truth. When you put on the belt of truth, you're firmly established in the word of God, the one true authority. Thus saith the Lord, the word of God says, the Bible says, the Bible is the final authority. And we live in a world where we have people that say, well, yeah, some of the Bible is inspired by God. Or, well, some of the scripture actually, if you look at history, was added by man. You know, some scripture doesn't really mean what it says. You know, as society grows, so must the word of God you don't really believe God inspired all those things in there, do you? 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture was God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You see, we can't be the ones deciding whether scripture is inspired or not, because then I become the authority. I become the one deciding what truth is, and that just simply isn't okay. You remember the devil loves to take a preacher and make him passive. Don't trust a person that comes up here and speaks based on his tradition or his feelings. Because that's, that's one of the reasons why we speak verse by verse here at CTK. Because the word of God is the authority. My feelings aren't the truth. My experience isn't the truth. The traditions of the church are not the truth. Keeping everyone in harmony and not stirring the pot is not the truth. Friends, do not sacrifice the truth for unity. Don't sacrifice the truth just to keep people happy. Fasten that belt of truth around your waist and hold fast to the truth of the word of God. Let's look at the th second piece. Second part of verse 14. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Being righteous means being in right relation to others. The word righteous is one of those words, I don't know if you're like me, but it's a very... It's not Christianese word, but it's one of those words that you just say, and the more you hear it, the less you really know what it means, and then you start to think, is righteous even a real word? Like what? You know those words? But simply put, just know this. Righteous just means right. It's just right. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have righteousness. We are made in right standing. We have righteousness imputed upon us. We are made in right relation to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. It's that simple. So strap on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of a soldier, what does it protect? Well, it protects this big mass right in the center of your body, from your chest to your waist. It protects your organs, protects your heart. And Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. But then in Psalm 37, 4, 
It says to delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So that's kind of confusing, isn't it? That confuses me. <laughs> I'm like, well, oh, maybe God's word isn't uh, all it cracked up to be. No, don't think that. You see, that's one of the favorite tactics of the devil is to play with your heart and to play with your emotions. And Satan gets in there and when you're feeling depressed or sad or, or joyous or angry, he just twists it. He takes those emotions that you feel in your heart and he twists it. And he says, how can you feel this way and still be righteous? How can you feel this way and still be in right standing with God? You're a sinner. You're not worthy. You're no good. But the key is if you have this breastplate of righteousness strapped onto your chest and Satan says that to you, you say, yes, amen. I am a sinner. I am not worthy. It is not by what I've done to get into right relation with God. It's by what Jesus has done. And so when you keep that breastplate of righteousness strapped onto your chest, you remind yourself daily that by faith through grace, you are deemed righteous through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Your account is in good standing with God. It isn't by anything you've done or, or, or anything you will do. In fact, when you have that breastplate of righteousness strapped onto you, you say, yes, there is nothing I can do. I'm a sinner, I'm not worthy, but by the grace of God, I am made in right relation. And then you know what the crazy thing that happens is, is when you have that breastplate of righteousness on, protecting your heart, strapped firmly, all of a sudden your heart becomes trustworthy. When you're, when you're protecting your heart with righteousness, your heart becomes trustworthy in the will of God, just like Psalm 37 told us. Let's look at the next piece. As shoes for your feet, in verse 15, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Three times leading up to this verse, uh, I see the word stand. We're called to stand with the whole armor of God on. You know, how can you be ready for battle if you show up wearing high heels or, or flip-flops or, as Darcy would say, if you're feeling, you guys are feeling a little crazy. Don't, don't be wearing flip, don't be wearing high heels. No guys are wearing high heels. You can't be effective in battle if you're running all around the battleground with no shoes on or with the wrong shoes on. The Roman army back in the day, they were said to have uh, these kind of, kind of sandals, shoes, and they'd have nails shot through them, pointing down. Basically like cleats, modern day cleats is basically what, what we would compare it to. And those shoes that we, they would wear, they'd serve two purposes. The first purpose was to, to hold their ground when they'd be under attack. They'd be able to hold their ground. They'd plant their feet in and they'd hold their ground. And in battle, you know, if you fall while being attacked, that's game over. It's a death sentence. You lose the high ground. It's over, Anakin. I've got the high ground. You're done for. It's a death sentence. And so when being attacked, the Roman army was known they were known for their organization, their ability to, to stand together as a unit. And staying on their feet was vitally important because if one or two of those guys go down, the whole unit crumbles. And then the second use of cleats that they would, they would wear in battle uh, was their ability to travel forward. Travel forward with sure footing. It's widely accepted actually that before the Roman time, Alexander the Great. One of the big reasons Alexander the Great was able to conquer so much land was he was one of the first guys to, 
give his soldiers quality footing so they wouldn't, you know, they'd be able to walk. They'd be able to travel great distances and conquer. And so we're called to put on the shoes with the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So when you put these shoes on, you'll be prepared. You'll be ready to stand your ground when the enemy comes to attack. But more than that, you'll be able to be prepared to go into battle with good news of peace at the ready. Don't get caught flat-footed. You're supposed to lead the way with the good news of the peace of Jesus Christ, keeping you firmly planted. You know, be ready and alert, we're called. If you're called to go, to go to nations and preach the word, then go. Go with sure footing. Go with the, the gospel of peace. If you're called to stand firm where you're at, then stand firm, readied with the gospel of peace when the enemy comes knocking. Let's look at the next piece. Verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This shield of faith that we have, the shield of faith we have to put on, it's not the same saving faith that you had when you first came to, to Jesus, when you first confessed with your mouth that Jesus is, Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. This shield that you now carry, it's now the faith that you need just to live everyday life. This faith is standing on the promises of God. It's worshiping God when you're in the valley. You see, in the Roman army, they had big shields. Like, big shields. We're talking like two foot by four foot shields. And these shields would be covered in, in a leather that they would soak in water for days so that this leather would be drenched in water. And the enemy, they would, what they would do is they would take their arrows, wrap the end in cotton, dip it in pitch, light it on fire, and when they'd shoot, shoot these arrows at, at the Roman army, they would have these, these big two-foot-by-four-foot shields soaked in water so that when the arrows hit them, they would be extinguished. And they'd, they'd, they'd have these, they'd, have these uh, they'd send the guys out front in with these big uh, shields on, and it'd basically cover everything from, well, four feet from like, I'm a short guy, so it'd be about the, my chin all the way down. Everything but their head, just their heads are poking up. And what these shields would do, actually, is these shields would lock together as a unit. Remember, we learned the Roman army was, they, were, they knew what they were doing in terms of keeping everyone cohesive together as a unit. And so the shields would lock together with the soldier on the right and the soldier on the left, and they became basically an impenetrable wall as, the arrow, as these arrows came flying in. They'd hit the front of the shield and they'd be extinguished. And there's a picture here, just the importance of, of standing together. Importance of encouraging one another, of engaging in fellowship to strengthen your family. You know, in my life, actually, I've, more and more as I get older, I've come to value my church life uh, more than anything. Because, you know, as a young male filled with testosterone, I think I'm tough guy. I kind of have little man syndrome where I think I'm this big tough guy, you know. Yeah, man. <laughs> I learned from the best. <laughs> you know, I like to think I'm strong. I like to think I'm this big tough guy. But let's be honest, I'm not. I like to think that I'm a bull and I could run straight through the devil and I think I can do it all on my own. But I can't. It's just not true. 
without encouragement and strength from others, my faith would waver. It's not easy to say that because I like to think that, no, I'd stand firm for God no matter what. If no one else is with me, I would stand firm. But just being honest, my faith would waver. And so when my shield of faith interlocks with one another at church here, at walk through the Bible on Wednesday nights, at Sunday night prayer, at Sunday morning church service, we spur one another on. My faith grows as I see others' faith grow. And I get encouraged to fight the good fight and keep the faith. Let's look at the fifth item we have. First half of uh, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. So you've got the belt of truth on. You've got the breastplate of righteousness strapped. You've got the boots with the readiness of the gospel of peace. You're protected by the shield of faith. And just poking up above that shield is the head. Perfect shot at your head. The only thing showing. So Paul tells us to take the helmet of salvation. Protect that big brain of yours. It's important. Have wisdom in the ways of the Lord. You know, in a lot of churches, the importance of knowledge and understanding uh, is laughed at, really. It's just laughed at. It's, it's, you know, they say, oh, it's all about your heart. It's all about how you feel today. The Lord just works based on feelings. But that's just simply not true. It's not true. Philippians 2.12 says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Romans 12.2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you know the number one thing that uh, professing Christians are the most afraid of? It's what happens to them after they die. There's no assurance of salvation. There's no wisdom and understanding of the truth. You see, we attend, we as people, I'll try not to go on too big of a rant here, but we go, on, we go to these conferences. We go to conferences once or twice a year, right? We go to these big conferences with all these people. And, and that's great. It's good to have those. But what happens when you go to these conferences or these concerts or these bring in a big preacher from, you know, down in the States? We get all fired up for about a week or two weeks. And we rely on those emotions for a week or two. And we go, wow, this is great. My heart is full. Don't even get me started on that. My heart is full. But then after a week or two, those, you start to forg- your emotions of that event start to fade, right? And you begin to think, boy, I feel so spiritually dry right now. I need that emotional high again. What's the next conference coming up that I can go to? Where is God? Does God even care about me? You guys, don't let your emotions dictate your brain. You need to know that the, what the truths are that are given to you. Don't let your emotions hold you hostage. Don't let these emotional highs and emotional lows dictate your salvation. You need to know it in your brain that you are saved. You need to put on the helmet to protect it. The devil loves to control the mind. You need a change in your heart, 100%. But you also need to renew your mind so that you can test and approve what God's will is. 2 Peter 3.18 says, We are to grow in grace and knowledge. 
And that's another reason, again, why we preach from the Word of God here. You know, I could stand up here, I've practiced this skill a lot, where I stand up here and I say a bunch of fluffy words, man, I can butter up people all day if I really need to, right? I could do that. I could stand up here and say a nice, nice bunch of fluffy words and get your emotions all. You could say, oh boy, isn't that Blake such a sweet little boy? <laughs> you know, I could do that if I, that's been like my first 28 years of my life was how to butter people up. Or I could try and come up here and equip you with understanding and knowledge of your salvation so that when the devil sees a hairline crack in that helmet and you start to think, boy, do I really have salvation? Am I really going to heaven? When the devil puts those thoughts in your brain, you can respond with 1 John 5, 11, 12. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Let's look at the last piece of armor. Ephesians six seventeen, the second half. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see in one hand, you have the shield of faith. And in the other hand, you have the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, a human sword can pierce into flesh, whereas the sword of the spirit can pierce to to the division of soul and spirit. A human sword is used to kill and destroy, whereas the sword of the spirit is used to bring healing and life. A human sword can only be used as as much as the operator can use it. Whereas the sword of the spirit has its own power. It is living and active. The spirit wrote the word. The spirit yields the word. We just simply have to grasp it and thrust it in the direction of the enemy. Famously, Jesus used the word of God three times when he was in the desert being tempted by the devil. Three times Jesus responded saying, it is written. Do you want to know why... I personally, and I think a lot of other people, I don't know, why I personally think a lot of Christians fail. It's because they don't know the word of God. They don't practice it. They don't take time to get to know the word. They sit with a closed Bible next to them and they say, God, show me what to do. Learn to use your Bible. Learn what is in it. Take time every day to read your Bible. Bring it out of the sheath and practice with it. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Meditate on the word day and night. Grasp this sword with your full strength and use it. What's the best way for a lion to defend itself? Just let it out of the cage, man. Just let it out of the cage. You don't need to defend this lion. Just open the cage. But if you're fighting just to open the lock, if you don't know how to open the cage, then you're dead in the water. Open the word of God and let the lion out of the cage. So Paul told us about the equipment available to us to grow in the strength of the Lord. Now he brings us to the third thing he was going to tell us about. 
where our energy comes from to use the equipment, prayer. You see, prayer isn't technically a, 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 a one of the armors of God, but it is vitally important to be used with the armor of God. You cannot use your armor without, the, without prayer. Let's look at verse 18. It says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, Verse 19, and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Through prayer, spiritual strength, and the armor of God go to work. Prayer is the power for, vic- power for victory, and in this section here that we just read, I see four main ways that Paul tells us to pray. The first one is to pray at all times in the Spirit. Don't stop being in prayer. Does this mean you walk around like one of those crazy people and you just have your head in your hands 24-7 praying? No, it doesn't mean that. But it also doesn't mean that we should need to start our our prayers with, Lord, we come to you. We come to your presence, Lord, because we're always in the Lord's presence. We're always in the presence of the Lord, communing with him. You know, a surprise attack only comes on you when you forget to pray. And in your prayers, you're called to pray in the Spirit. Romans, in Romans 8, uh, another book written by Paul, he tells us uh, how to pray in the Spirit. In verse 26, he says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit helps us. The Spirit intercedes for us. Oftentimes I hear people ask, well, how, how do I pray in the will of God? Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. Make sure that breastplate of righteousness is strapped on. Make sure the full armor of God is on you. And you'll pray in the will of God. And the Holy Spirit will help you in your prayers. The second way he tells us to pray is with all prayer and supplication. Are you a two-second prayer? Are you one of those guys who's, think of us, day, amen. And then you check your time and go, nice, quarter of a second, that one, new record. Paul tells us to pray with all sorts of prayer. Intercession, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, Pray long prayers. Pray short prayers. Pray on your knees. Pray standing up. Pray walking around. Pray with your eyes open. Pray with your eyes closed. Give thanks to God. Intercede for others. Confess your sins. Prayer isn't just a time to uh, go to the boss and say, okay, boss, I need a new car. I need some food. I need some new shoes. I need the new PlayStation. What's the third thing Paul tells us how to pray? He tells us to be alert and persevere. Keep your eyes open to what is going on around you. Don't fall asleep when you should be praying. Is there anyone in the Bible that's done that once or twice? You might be donned with the full armor of God and you might think, yes, I've got the full armor of God on and I'm rocking it. But if you aren't alert and ready, The enemy will come when you least expect it. When you're sleeping, the enemy will come. 
You need to persevere. Be alert and persevere. Does anyone here like camping? Camping, maybe, yes. You're probably in the minority living on Gibsons if you don't like camping, but that's okay. Still love you. So they say, they say when you go camping, let's say, and, and you need to collect firewood, and you want it's maybe cold out overnight, you want to keep your fire going overnight. You're going out collecting firewood. What they say is you should, the general uh, survivor man rule, survivor man certified, you collect the amount of wood you think you'll need for the fire, to keep the fire going overnight, and then you triple that amount. And that's a little bit like prayer. You pray how much you need, and then you triple it, and you quadruple it. Because how often do we underestimate how much we need to pray? We think, oh, that's probably good. I don't, I'm good for the rest of the week, right? We give up praying. We give up praying too early. Stay in prayer through the Spirit and keep on praying until the Spirit stops you or the Father answers you. And often, that's going to take a lot longer than you want it to. We get so impatient in our life. We think, oh, if I just pray once, then I'll be good. Like, and the Lord hears. The Lord hears. He does. But often, we, just when God's about to answer prayer, we just stop praying. We just stop because we think, well... I haven't got an answer and I don't know what's going on, so I'm just going to stop praying. It's, I'll just move on to something else. Be alert, persevere, stay vigilant in your praying because Satan is looking for a lazy Christian, a comatose Christian to attack. Don't fall asleep. The fourth thing I see is to pray for others. Paul says, make supplication for all the saints and also for me. Verse 19, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, that's why we have Sunday night prayer. We'll be here tonight at 7 o'clock. That's why we have Tuesday morning men's prayer. In the same way, we need fellowship. We need to pray for each other. You can't do this on your own. You can't fight this battle alone. You need to pray for others and have others pray for you. We're stronger together with our shields locked together as a family of God. And so Paul has final greetings. Let's look at verse 21. He says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so as the band comes up, uh, we're going to sing one more song. I just want to leave you with this question today, this last question as we finish the book of Ephesians. I want to ask you this. Is your strength in the Lord stronger today than it was last week? And if it isn't, then what do you need to do tomorrow to grow stronger in the might of the Lord? What do you need to do? Just one thing. What is one thing that you need to do tomorrow to grow in the might of the Lord, to draw your strength from the might of the Lord? Every day, ensure you're putting on the whole armor of God. This isn't an, an armor that you put on once and you're all good. Fasten the belt of truth around your waist. 
and remember what truth is. Put on the breastplate of righteousness and keep it tight so that you know where your righteousness comes from, Jesus Christ. For your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace so that you can stand firm and sure-footed and walk on solid ground into battle. You need to take the shield of faith and lock it together with fellow believers so that the attacks of the devil will be extinguished. Take the helmet of salvation, put it on, protect your mind with the knowledge and understanding of God's will. Don't, be, don't live your life based on your emotions. Grasp the sword of the Spirit and daily be in the Word of God. All you have to do, just open the cage, open that Bible, and let the lion out. And energize your life through prayer in all ways through the Holy Spirit. So let's do that right now. Lord, we thank you uh, for the armor of God, Lord. We know we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against a real living devil who wants to seek and destroy us, Lord. But we thank you that if we put our trust in you, if we draw our strength from your might, uh, that we've already won. And I thank you for these these uh, various forms of equipment that you've given us, Lord, to help us stand strong in battle, God. I just pray that I would continue to grow in your strength, Lord. I don't want to be a comatose Christian, God. I want to be a Christian that's ready, being alert, standing guard, uh, and ready to go into battle for your name, Lord. So we just thank you for this time.